The Raw Rugby Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Raw Rugby Podcast. I'm Brett McKay. It's episode 46 and the rugby year is done. The Automation Series, the Spring Tour, the November Internationals, all wrapping up with a pair of wins for Australia and South Africa in your place for the biggest and best rugby discussion remains the raw.com.au, Australia's biggest sporting debate. Fantastic to have Owen Jones on last week's episode. Wonderful Welsh perspective he gave us. Um, and the nervous pregame worries from both Owen and I played out pretty much as expected. Uh, another huge response as well to Sunday morning's Instant Reaction pod, uh, the biggest of the Autumn, uh, Autumn Nation series, in fact. And plenty of you had your say on the Raw, as you do each week, uh, or you can hit us up on the socials, as always. Joining me this and every week. The co-host of the number one rugby podcast in the United States from the great state of Texas, Harry Jones. Hello, USA, mate. USA, USA. How's it? Yeah. Hey, Brett, I just had a very disturbing dream, um, and I just woke up to do this pod. I was making love to an unidentified royal member family, or the member of the royal family. Unidentified because uh, we were doing a corgi style, so I don't remember the face. But oh, I had a good long bind, and I was uh, going at it. But then you had this weird feeling with someone else in the room, and I kept looking around. I thought maybe it was, uh, you know, oh God, let it not be King Charles. But it was actually Eddie Jones. Uh, Eddie Jones had a clipboard. He was in the corner of the room uh, watching my work, and uh, Edward, with the pretender, was there, and he he said, uh, "You're a test match animal, mate. Be a finisher, <laughs> be a finisher mate." And it really messed up my dream and it stopped. And the moral of the story for you and I and, and our guest is that I think Eddie has lost the, the change room, but I think he's also lost the royal bedroom. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a bit of I think there's a bit of truth in that. I, I think the fact that he's yes. How did how did you word it in our chat group? He's lost the leather patches. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the cranberry chino elbow patch. That's, the way. That's what he said. Burberry That's what he said. crowd. When you lose that crowd and they blew you in Twicker at the Twickers, uh, it everything else doesn't matter. You know, that's yeah. the 400 pound a weekend ticket guy. Yeah, yeah, indeed, indeed. Um, now I mentioned we we were uh, well, we were actually it only lasted a day, but we were genuinely the number one rugby podcast in the US on on Monday. This week, which is it's it's huge. because they thought it was soccer. They they were like, hey, there's a World Cup on. <laughs> I think about kicking a ball. <laughs> Australia beat Wales. Wow. <laughs> uh, I'm looking forward to chatting with this week's guest, mate. And it might just be the perfect wrap up for the spring tour given last weekend's results. The Raw Rugby Podcast. To the pod's Cape Town studio this week and from the Rugby Bits <laughs> podcast and rugbybits.com, it's maybe the best bit, Tala Masutu. Hello, mate. How are you going? No, going well. Thank you so much. I cannot even dream of trying to beat Harry's uh, first remarks there on the pod. No, don't. Uh, don't try and beat that. <laughs> I, I, yeah. Well, what does Rusty say? You know, playing in the gutters and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah that's... I, I can't. I, I'm, I'm more no. of a sort of a flowing, attacking, kind of running rugby type of person in comparison then. But yeah, very yeah. excited to to be in the podcast. Yeah, you're in my top um, 10 to 20 of Australian podcasts. No, I'm joking. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm genuinely was... excited to be on the show. So yeah, thanks so much for the invitation. And yeah, apologies from the rest of my um, fellow bits that we aren't able to make it, but yeah, definitely next time. I feel a bit stood up, honestly, by them, but yeah, next time we'll <laughs> make it a big draw. Yeah, and, and Harry, we probably should explain here. Our original plan was to to have uh, a, a bit more of the rugby bits. <laughs> yeah, we were going to have the whole. We had like five, seven people on the pod, and then yeah. came down five, then four, then three, and yeah. then we said, "Send us your best." And so, Tala, this is your opportunity to actually dish. You can really say how you really feel yeah. about Jared with his superior Twitter game and Sean Ooh. with his, his opinion. He has very strong opinions. Uh, no, actually, I love your I love your pod, and, uh, and we, we're friends with you guys. And so we're happy to have you on. And uh, I think you play the part of Brett on your mm. pod, so it's going to be interesting. Yeah. Two halfbacks. Yeah. It's kind of like Kate McDermott and Nick White or Fuff <laughs> de Klerk and Jade <laughs> Hendrickson. You know, there's, there's a lot of nine battles going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. The the issue when you have two nines on the field is number one, you have two people that are like just berating the ref the whole time, and number two, 
just yeah. yeah like there is that concentration of punchable faces that are on the pod so yeah i guess i'm <laughs> i'm the punchable face of the i give that's podcast so I'm, I'm glad to represent that aspect of it yeah yeah and now we have two people taylor who definitely think that they are the smartest people person on this podcast <laughs> <laughs> we start uh, in the same place every every week what what stood out for us um, on a well, it wasn't quite as busy a weekend of of rugby as as the rest of November has been, but nevertheless, take us away, Taylor. What stood out for you? Yeah, I think it's actually. So I haven't had a chance to watch the games fully, so just for in terms of transparency, but it's very. <laughs> okay, well, it's been great to have you on, mate. We'll uh, we'll talk to you again next year. <laughs> That's why I'm the best rugby player. Better call Sean. <laughs> but it's actually quite interesting how quickly and how very. Yeah, how quickly um, pressure can come onto a coach. And just this weekend was obviously four teams that for different reasons were struggling through this November series. And all all four of them, if they lost, would have had some form of pressure on them and mm. maybe cause for their jobs and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, Dave Rennie and Jacques Nienaber can sort of fly back safely to the Southern Hemisphere. They've dodged the bullets. They've been able to have at least a, a satisfactory um, November series. And, you know, we... I mean, Wayne Pivak, he might not have a job by the time this goes out. And Eddie Jones is now <laughs> under review again. So, yeah, like, it's so interesting how, I mean, and both games, okay, the the, the Springbok game was obviously a bit more of a thrashing, but, like, the Wales game literally turned, like, in the last few minutes. So, it's very interesting that, you know, pressure in this job, like, it's such a thankless job uh, in general. But, yeah, that pressure can really turn on, on a few close results because Australia, as we'll probably talk about, they are what a few points, literally what a handful of points away of having five out of five, and the yeah. Springboks were also a few points away of being probably the number one team in in the world rugby ranking. So it's it's very interesting how these things can turn on such small margins. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's a really good point. It is a really good point, Harry. It was a it's it's it is actually really fascinating to hear now how the narrative has has switched and to see it's not surprising so much that. Wayne Pivak is under a bit of pressure already, but the way that the former internationals have really started lining up Eddie Jones um, it has been, uh, what's the word? It's 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 not unexpected, but it's it's still quite surprising. No, yeah. So Eddie lost the important crowd, you know, the actual mm. sub crowd, the micro group. And so now he's feeling the heat. But, you know, one of his best skill is to survive reviews. Last time there's he survived <laughs> by saying lower body strength was a problem and he didn't have his assistant coaches. So he ran off about seven more of them. And now he's going to say it was upper body strength or whatever. Actually, the point <laughs> is he always acts surprised when South Africa has a good scrum. And he's like, oh, how come you made a Mako Taco? How come, you know, Malbec <laughs> made a Mako? <laughs> I mean, I've never seen a guy that big go flipped around like that. It was actually oh, two crazy. one match. Faf did a perfect, uh, you know, double Salkow Olympic um, you know, landing when Johnny Hill threw him <laughs> out. And then you had Mako Vinopola turn into, you know, Komak. Pola Vuno, and uh, <laughs> he didn't even know who he was when he All came done. out of that. No, there it, were a lot of good moments. Uh, it was a circus. It was a bloody circus this week. Uh, I thought the spider cam hit was one of my top moments. Money Lebok was just doing a routine exit clearance and smacked with maximum force the spider cam. It was brilliant. I mean, I just yeah. thought, what I didn't know is what happens when that happens is you have a scrum. You you feed a scrum yes. so yeah the ball's imagine dead. my mind immediately and rossi's mind immediately going to all kinds of permutations for the world cup <laughs> knockouts because you, as you all know if there's 15 scrums a match the box win the world cup so yeah just find a way to have a scrum at any point in time where's the spider cam yeah <laughs> money yeah. lebok is a sharpshooter uh besides that i thought a lot of the interesting um you know double play was was the old line like Alan Wynn Jones playing really well? He was I mean, exceptional. Really well. He, was, he was the best nine on the park. He had, I think, he had more <laughs> passes than the Wallabies' uh, entire backline during the first half. <laughs> and, uh, no, but that's, that's a may, serious fact. May, may not actually be true. No, no, it's true. <laughs> he was playing nine for a while, and he was offloading every time he carried. So he built his stats. Um, so that was uh, something to see. Uh, and then I thought maybe like. This idea, I've been talking about doctrines. I still don't know what Rennie's doctrine is, but I'm so happy for the man because it mm. looks like he has not lost the change room. 
Yeah. Unlike Eddie Jones, who sometimes I think his players look demoralized because they're all just waiting to be barked at by him and Owen. I think uh, the Wallabies have a very happy, uh, happy yeah. crowd. Yeah. No, I think that's a that's a, that's a good point. Has has the, you've got me thinking while you're talking about the spider cam? Has the conspiracy theory started about home team producers and and how they? <laughs> How they how they position the camera just behind the uh, the English English defensive line? I mean, you know, look at it could happen in France, couldn't it? Um, look, I've got to go. You, you talk, Taylor, about how the, the the Wales Wallabies game seemed to change at the last minute, but I, I've I've watched the game back several times on on Sunday afternoon. Um, I didn't watch the game back several times. I watched moments several times, and it, it was interesting to me in that the the momentum shift I think happened a lot further back than we perhaps realise and, and that it wasn't one particular thing, but it was just a series of little iterations and suddenly they had a bit more momentum and then they had a bit more momentum and then all of a sudden Wales were on the back foot and I'm not even sure Wales realised, Harry, they were on the back foot when they were on the back foot. It was just suddenly they, they had, like that was a game they had in control and then it wasn't, but realistically they should have seen that coming. Yeah, I was actually uh, look. I, I think Wayne Pivak is a really nice man, and I'm not sure that nice guys are actually good coaches at the test level. Mm. Uh, but just to watch his face, the change uh, was unbelievable. It was a barometer of oh, I, I couldn't believe what he was watching. I think at some moments in that match, he thought, "I've saved, I've saved my job, I saved my our season. This mm. is the way forward." And then to see it unravel, and I suppose looking back on it, he should have kept more like the sheriff on Alan Wynn Jones on just play them till they drop. It was yeah. too important. It was too important for him and his team and his, and his, and his, his family and his, uh, you yeah. know, his mortgage. So yeah, I uh, <laughs> probably should have done it. Yeah. Yeah. Conversely, I thought the way Dave Rennie used his bench early and got them, mm. I reckon he had maybe seven of the eight on well before the hour mark. Um, and it just, all of them had little impacts, and it was uh, it was really really interesting to see. Given you know the way we've probably been critical of um, of the Wallabies' use of the yeah. their bench this series and this year, in fact, Taylor, it's been it's been funny the way guys have got on with ninety seconds to go, or you know, not yeah. even, yeah, yeah. And it's look, I think the one thing about the Australians that they can take from this year is they seem to perform either when they're 20, 30 points down or when they're 14 men on the field. So thanks to Darcy Swain, that's probably why he's <laughs> picked. It's, be, it's because they've had so much practice out of this year. It's 16 <laughs> cards in 14 games. So, you know, but, they don't yeah, need to so, train for it. They're so good at, at it. They're so used to it. They don't even need to train, about it, train for it anymore. Yeah. Look, and I hate being the body language doctor type of person when you do the sports analysis and like, oh, this camp looks like he's behind this coach or whatever. But just in terms of pure performance – there's a big difference between Australia losing the games that they've lost and England losing the games that they've lost. Yes. And I think it's yep. quite clear to see that there is some form of like fight with the Australians. There's some form of, you know, resilience that they have. And they're, yeah, I think it's the most frustrating thing. It must be, I guess, for you, Brett, but like Australia will literally play up to the opposition or play down to the opposition. So yes. you put yep. them against a under 15 team from, yeah. Um, for, you know, from Perth, I'm sure they'll play yes. down to the opposition and, and scrape it out 9-8. But you play them against the French or the box or whatever, they'll mm. run them close and maybe even win that game. So it's good that they have that fight and it's now just hopefully putting the pieces together. And yeah, I mm. think Australia is like the big wild card of when we go into 2023 because yeah. we just have never seen <laughs> the whole picture come together. You know, yeah. there's always been other injuries. There's now the ghetto law might be dropped and all that sort of stuff. So we haven't really seen the best 23 play together for more than maybe a few seconds here and there. So no, it, it makes it very difficult to analyze and to see what, what Australia can bring. So, yeah, I think there's a world where Australia goes to the semi-final, maybe even to a final. There's a world where Australia gets knocked out by Fiji and George in the first round. Like, the world is full of possibilities for the Wallabies at the moment. <laughs> yeah, look, it's a, it's it's a really good it's a really good point, and we're still going to sum sum up our our, our four Southern Hemisphere uh, nations on this spring tour. So just to to wrap up the Wallabies, you make the point, Tyler, there about you know that we haven't really seen the best 
Wallabies this year. And, and it's like it's worth summing up because I've been keep keeping track of it this year. They've finished the spring tour with another nine guys who who were injured in tests and couldn't play again. And so that's like so there was there was 10 injuries during the November tests, and only Alan Alatoa got back on the field. So, you know, they lost Tom Banks, Lalakai Fiketi, Hunter Paisami, Dave Parecki, Rob Valentini, Taniela Tupo, Andrew Kellaway, Nick White, and Michael Hooper in the end. Mm. They they did not make the end of the tour. And that's and then you throw in Skelton and Foley. And there's, you know, no wonder they were down to whatever it was, 24 players, Harry, for the last game. It's, it, it makes that comeback and to win that game against Wales in Cardiff all the more remarkable, I think. Yeah, all what that's going to help camp, Wallabies. Sorry, but that's what gonna, boot camp yeah. is Rennie running in his practices? Like, yeah. is he like beating the people up? Like, what's going on there? Yeah, the beatings will continue until morale improves. <laughs> um, <laughs> look, it's a it's a it's a common question, and 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 the easy conclusion would seem to be uh, would seem to be is it a training thing? But again, it's mm. a, and a point I keep making. There's just no pattern to any of these. There's ten or a dozen concussions and failed HIAs. There's injuries literally from feet to head um, on, on all parts of the body. So. I'm not sure it is just as simple as putting it down to to a to a training or a conditioning thing, but mm. I've got no doubt there'll be a review and everything over the summer and and hopefully I think I said to you last week, Harry, even if it's only even if the injury list is only half as long next year, that's gotta be it's gotta be an improvement. And 20 would still be too many. But anyway, I'm interested to hear what you guys have made of of, of South Africa because sitting back and watching bits and parts of their games um they've looked pretty impressive to me and they look like they're in a good place but i know that you guys don't you know there's no there's no more harsher judge of the box than south africans so <laughs> have at it no so you know if you go back maybe 18 months there was if you actually go back honestly and you look at what people were chattering about we were all moaning about the lack of nines. Uh, there wasn't there wasn't enough scrum offs, and now there's uh, a luxury there in that you have not only maybe four that you could you could trust to play in a knockout match, the World Cup. They're different. They're different styles. I mean, mm-hmm. there couldn't be a different, more polar opposite than Jaden and Faf in in that you know Jaden's got the perfect kick, uh, ice cool, uh, big guy around the rock. Uh, you know, can actually hold up the ball. And then you have Faf flying around like a little berserker asterisk model, um, <laughs> trying to take everyone's head off and including his own players. Um, but he brings a lot of like fire and fire and brimstone. So I, that's actually not a bad thing. And then you have like sheer speed with Kovas, um, and you have you know a lot a couple of other really nippy guys like Grant Williams and and even you know we've forgotten Herschel. But there's there's a deep. My point is there's a deep bench of nine. So mm. when we now worry about this guy is better than that guy, what were they thinking when they put this guy in? That's actually a good problem. Mm. It even extends to ten, which was a year ago. You'd say we have no tens. You know, we have uh, you know Andre lost his meniscus and Elton lost his missus, and now we're gonna have. See, Tyler, this is what I've been dealing with all year. He's had that line <laughs> stored. Two or three weeks, I will absolutely guarantee it. And he's just been waiting for the moment to bring it out. And there you go. Well done. Well done. Yeah. And now you've got money who might be the man. You've got you've got uh, interesting choices. You know, Damien Willemser is one of those very difficult players because he's an absolute stud. He's an all-star, but where do you put him? You know, he's that kind of guy. It's sort of a young Franz mm. Stein type. So you could shift it around a lot. I, in some ways, you could see this year as being the year that uh, Jacques Ninaber wanted to have a year ago, right? So everything was lost in COVID. So now this is the experiment lab year. I don't think it went that badly. I mean, look, Bach fans want wins, but even the losses, you look at that and you say, I didn't really know until we played the French, could the pack stand up? The pack stood up with seven guys, including Quacha, which is like six and a half guys. So, you know, I, 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 I'm not worried now about the French. I'm worried a little bit about Ireland because Ireland seems very clever with Sexton. Without Sexton, though, they're nothing. So, um, you know, I think I, what I learned about this is that the box have a decent plan. It's frustrating, some of the changes, some of the experiments, uh, some of the, like, don't not caring about this test instead of, like, the World Cup, World Cup, World Cup. That's annoying. But, um, yeah, maybe that's the, the point nowadays, that that's what you got to do as a coach. Yeah, I think 
I, I, I think I'm very much in lockstep with Harry there. And I think the, the one big lesson or the big sort of takeaway from this year is I have a lot more respect for the All Blacks from the 2010s and just how they were able to keep a level of consistency and excellence and able to like include more depth into their team. Mm-hmm. So they were mm-hmm. able to blood in, you know, the stars that we have now, the Bowden Barrett's, Adi Sevier's, the White Locks and everything. And they were able to do that while having an 85 plus percent winning record, which is yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, I remember Rassi saying in, I think 2020 when just before COVID that the goal was to try and dominate and try to sort of set that sort of all black standard. And we've seen now that that's something that is just very difficult to do year in, year out. There's more competition, of course, in, in rugby, I think, as well now. The second thing is, like Harry said, I think we've answered a lot of questions. I think positions where we would have had concerns. The one position I don't think you mentioned, Harry, is number eight. I think two years ago, we would have, or a year ago, we would have been worried about, you know, what happens if Dwayne's not there. And now Jasper Visa has matured as a player. Um, Quacker Smith is someone that can fill in there if needed. Arach Lowe has played a little bit there. Evan Russ, like, you know, uh, I'm sure if I just throw a rock at a Cape Townian now, they'll tell me now that Evan Russ needs to be world breakthrough <laughs> player of the year. He needs to be captain the spring box. Yeah, like, there, there's, there's many opinions about him in this part of the world. But it's a good position to be in. And apart from Hooker, I would... I still have my skepticism on playing Willems at fly half and, and, and I wish we played Lebok more than we did. And and mm. if he had maybe another few more tests now, I'd be a bit more comfortable, you know, then we, I think we'd have genuine good options and depth in all the positions, but like any other um, team at this, in the world at the moment, there's some key players that we need to have in order to, to, to win a world cup. We've seen now that, you know, there is, even though Jesse Creel is a great defender, I mean, he's just not Lukanyo Am, and no one is, of course. You know, there's key players there. Eben Etzebeth needs to be there. Like, all those sort of key players mm. have to be there. And I think every international team in the world right now has that big question of, can you win three big games in a row for three weekends and win a World Cup? And I, a year ago, or before the Lions series, I would have said the Seraphkins would be at the top of my list of the teams that could do that. They're probably now third, which isn't too bad. I think you can argue, you can say and argue that maybe they're better than Ireland or better place than France or the All Blacks or whatever. But, you know, I think the the percent, the winning percentage is, is, is does speak to the fact that, like, there has been a few disappointing results mixed into really good performances as well. So mm. there's that consistency of three weeks in a row, we will play close to our best there is that you know random performance or stupid half that we have and yeah. i guess the last thing i'd say about the box is and i guess this being the, the 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 development is good because we've developed our game plan a bit more we've given a bit more uh, the keys to the to the ferrari to very larue to drive around and and it's it's going well so far and the great man. A really good season. yeah and look you you get you Villiru giveth and Villiru taketh away. So there is some yes. of, some moments of just stupidity, and, but and know. it's always been thus, hasn't it? Yeah, and like, yeah. but it's, it's it's I think it's a risk that that is worth taking, and I think it's yeah. the one thing that will bring us closer to probably winning a World Cup than playing a bit more conservative. So I'm a, I'm just hoping that we don't go into our shells if and when we face you know we're in the trenches in a World Cup because if we go into our shell, I think teams are I mean they wouldn't prefer to do it, but they are comfortable that if they need to win a game and they need to just shut down the Springbok scrum and the mall. Mm. I think teams are more and more comfortable with doing that now and are willing to sort of sacrifice themselves. But yeah, I, I think this World Cup is just going to be a battle of <laughs> getting the right opponent at the right time. The team that yeah. maybe knocks out the Springboks will probably be too beaten up to play well the next match. So at least the Springboks <laughs> know that they take a pound of flesh from you if you want to win from them. It's a great point about matchups. Like if England got to play New Zealand every week, they would be fine. There's mm. something about New Zealand that yeah. does not bother Eddie's England. They handle that fine. They, in fact, they seem to finish those games stronger, and that's it's, that's four or five in a row. <laughs> it's the actually hand, the same. It's you actually say the same thing about the Wallabies 
playing South Africa at the moment. Exactly. For, yeah. for the last few but, years. But, yeah. The Wallabies always have this like magical ability to violate all the cardinal rules of rugby and yet just foggle <laughs> the spring box. And and it's like it's like yeah. it's playing you know it's gonna happen. Like I was in Adelaide and I was like, I know I knew this is gonna happen. I didn't expect <laughs> Sydney's backlash, but uh, you know, there's moments like that. I think Ireland right now has New Zealand's number. But I wouldn't really bet against the All Blacks coming to the uh, into the World Cup and just shooting the lights out either. They can, yeah, they yeah. can score. Like for for me, it's every team has a flaw right now. Everyone, yeah, uh, yeah. And yeah. Ireland is that it's way too dependent on Sexton. Like they are yes. just a different team when he's out, and he's going to be thirty eight. I mean, this is. I mean, come on. This it's yeah yeah. Back. It's a fair. It's a fair question. We'll, we'll we'll get on to. We'll finish this this little part with with France and Ireland, but. We've mentioned New Zealand there. Um, do we do we feel like that mid-year hurdle has been safely uh, navigated now? They're, 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 they're just away again? They still got problems in defence, um, they, but their problem was mostly a tight five, and they did fix that. with how They have really good props uh, now. They always yeah. had good hooks, but they, they, they were really suffering at prop. Yeah. So I think that has been solved with Ryan, the coach, uh, helping them along on, on on practicing as well. I don't think they have enough locks, you know, under 30. So they still need, to me, they still need to have one more lock. It's well, That's the yeah. case of many, many teams. Um, but I do think, I think white lock, Retallick is, is a very strong combination. But we saw in the last World Cup how they fade on match yeah. five. Yeah. I think we've seen that this year too. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know whether you thought the same thing, Taylor, but I'm, I don't know. I thought we felt we saw some some chinks in the in the white lock retallic combination this year. Look, I mean, I'll, I'll give it to them. There was a point in the Ireland series, Ireland series, that I thought, okay, these guys are done. Like mm. you've gotten as much as you can for these two war horses, but white lock has probably been arguably the best lucid lock um, in the world this year. He made the world fifteen. Brody Retallick has been, you know, he came back really well. Um, I, I guess the the what they'll have to do with them, and similar to I guess what Ireland does with Sexton, is you two you, or you guys don't even worry about any Super Rugby matches. Don't worry about any other right. tests up until yeah, we get to the quarterfinals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm sure Sexton has like a one way ticket to Ibiza. Like he's going to just chill and relax <laughs> until the Six Nations appear for the French game, maybe for an yeah. England game, then go back and maybe appear for. Benster in the knockout stages of the Champions Cup. And I would do the same with Retallick and Whitelock because there is definitely a big difference between Ethan DeGroot and Terrell Lomax when Retallick and Whitelock are behind them versus yeah. Scott <laughs> Barrett and maybe Tupovai. I mean, yeah. Scott Barrett's still really good, but you know, I think the one, the big thing that New Zealand has found is Scott Barrett is a good antidote for the Peter Steph, Courtney Laws type of big yeah. um, blindside flanks. Yeah. And he's played really well there. He's Similar to actually how Peter Steph grew into the role, that the first year or two it seemed like he was way too slow, and now he's got into the pace of yeah. being a blindside flank. Yeah. And um, the other big thing is, I guess I, I don't prefer it, but I, I guess they found something with this Monga and Double Barrett's backline. I think yeah. mm. it's given them a lot more decision makers. I think Monga is not necessarily good enough to run things by himself, so it's good to have someone like Jordy there at twelve. Bowden's still there and able to influence. I still think he's probably one of the best kicking flowers in the world because his short and long kicking game is just brilliant. And you just put in the magic dust of, you know, the likes mm. of Rico Ioani and all that sort of stuff and you, you, you're good to go. I still think they can still maximize the team with better selection. I still think that there's still some really, um, and I guess the big thing that they, I don't know if they can solve it by next year is there is very much a frailty in that team. And we've seen it now in five of the six test matches to finish up the year. Big comeback um, from the Wallabies in the first Bledisloe Cup match. Big comeback from Japan. Big comeback from Wales. Big comeback from Scotland. And big comeback Mm. from England. Mm. And luckily they won four of those games, but it shows that there's a frailty that you're not, there's a, uh, you know, the all black teams of old and it's very unfair to compare this team with those teams that mm. if they are 10, 15 points up, it's gone. Like don't even. That's try. it. That's it. They put their foot, they put a foot on your neck and you were done and yeah. they would close a match down. They could play stifling tight yes. rugby for the final 20 minutes. This mm. all black team seems to believe its own, um, its own press clippings and that it's all yeah. run, run, run. 
Mm. And yes, sometimes a Rico Yanni run from deep works, <laughs> and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, and, yeah. and that's the problem. You're putting your team, uh, you know, back in. So I, I do think uh, New Zealand's there or thereabouts. Um, the other team we haven't talked about is Argentina with yeah, Michael. Ch- exactly what, yeah, what, what do you think about them, Tala? Look, um, there's if I if I could tier the teams in a way, I think Argentina would be in that tier of. Geez, I don't want to play them, but <laughs> yes, it's a great way of putting it. Yeah, because look, Argentina is just—I mean, they don't have the tight five of old as well. I, I, I think they have maybe found something with Thomas Gallo, who's probably one of my sort of favorite rugby people that I've seen this year. I think he's just—I mean, having such a baby face prop who's also just an amazing like ball runner as well is just such a good thing. Um, but you know, they, this, they, there's just a, a bit of um. How can I say? Like, they, they, there's not really that solidity that they have up front in order to to win games consistently. They obviously their discipline is always an issue, unfortunately. So they, but they do have that ability with obviously the world class players that they have all around the park to really put you under a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. So you know, if you're the thing with Argentina is you need to control the game in the sense that it mustn't become too turgid and too slow and you mustn't you mustn't give them the opportunity to set the terms because even with the Springboks when they played that first test in Argentina when they were setting the terms of the game and they were setting the pace and it was they were dictating terms they couldn't touch them Australia also had a similar um, uh, experience with the two tests in Argentina but once you let Argentina take control of things they just have that ability of just springing to life. And obviously mm-hmm. they can score tries from anywhere. They have probably, I mean, yeah, in terms of a roster of like outside backs, they probably have the deepest roster in the world because they just have just crazy finishes everywhere. So yeah. you, you, you have some of the ingredients you have, like, you know, if they had a decent 10 and, uh, you know, one or two of South Africa's third choice props, I think they'd be serious World Cup mm. threats. But yeah, Santa Carrera is probably not, you know, the, the fly off that you'd want if you want a, a serious team. Mm. But yeah, I think England's now seen that they can be beaten by Argentina in, in the group stages next year. Mm. They, you know, if you obviously we know how the, the pools have, have been set out. Like if you get Argentina as one of the teams that you get after you win that quarterfinal against either the All Blacks or Ireland or France or the Springboks and that side of the draw, getting Argentina is in some ways, if you get bad Argentina, great. But <laughs> if you get the Argentina that has decided that, no, we, we, we're really motivated for this game, it's such a long thing. And one mm. thing about Argentina is that you have to kill them off as quickly as possible. So yeah. if you don't... Yeah you know, cut the head off and bury them six feet under, they will come back and they are more than willing to then have a go at, at you. So I think it's, it's Michael Check has done really well. And I think he's very much a, a good, you know, as we see with the Wallabies, a good sort of short-term coach in that yeah. he can get an instant reaction yeah. from a team. And he's found some really good solutions. I think with, you know, trying to fix some of the problems up front, finding players like Gallo and Gonzalez as well. And Felipe Contaponi has done really yeah. well with the backline as well. We see we saw that backline move against England. So they're in that tier with, I guess, the Wallabies in Scotland and, yeah, Wales if they can sort of wake up from whatever they're doing mm-hmm. right now. Where you you genuinely also don't necessarily want to face them, but you obviously fancy your chances a bit more. But they're a team that is, and I guess this is be what the World Cup's going to be. That probably eight, nine, ten teams can all have one amazing match in the World Cup. You're just hoping that it's not you and it's not a knockout yes. game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a really good way. What what he has done, Checker, and we've spoken, Harry, about this numerous times, is he he's accidentally unearthed one of the best back rows in the world. And, and I think as long as he can keep those three guys fit, they're going to be very much in that, I don't want to play this team frame it's a really good way of of putting it Tyler we should finish this um this little segment with with France and Ireland what what have we learned about them and and is there the same aura about them here now in the last week of November as there perhaps was going into November no they're not like the classic one and two back in the days of yore when you had maybe the all blacks a clear one the box a clear two 
I, I don't think it's that solid. It's a bit shaky. Ireland's, uh, you know, attack is they're the best starter plays. They're the best design. They're the clever, cleverest players. They all know what they're doing. They'll go to St. Michael's or some other school in the uh, Dublin area, and they grew up around it. They have Academy. Lancaster's got them going. Leo mm. Cullum. It's all the same direction. It's just that they're not, you know, that big or scary. They cannot really impose. I, I thought the box imposed a Bach plan on that game, even with missing most of the good players mm. uh, without a kicker even. And, it, you know, they only had two clean breaks, and they were at the very, very edge on the left side. The entire right side was taken away from them. And so they were forced to. I mean, they scored off a Kalen Doris kick through rock out of, you know, out into touch, flip back. You cannot plan a World Cup around that type of attack. No. So I think the problem with their pretty attack is that it's too pretty. It's too fancy for World Cup knockout rugby. But um, they had the best year. Uh, to me, they were a wonderful team to watch. I wish rugby was more like that. But yeah. I, I don't think knockout rugby plays that way. For the French obviously have built more of a battalion, like we're going to march over you. We kick so long, we bash you till you break, and then we scoop up the easy pickings and score. The problem with that is we saw that for the first time they were up against a seven-man Bach pack. It didn't work that well. When they were up against Wales in Cardiff earlier this year and, Car and Wales brought their best, it was difficult for them to score. There mm. was no scraps. If a team is saying, like, oh, no, I'm not going to play, you play. No, you play. Mm. No, after you. Uh, the French didn't have an ability to create their own attack because yeah. their attack is their defense. So I think yeah. those are two problems with those teams. I think that could be worked out by the smart Kiwi coaches. I think Ninabra's got a good plan for that. I don't think any of those four teams showed their hand, by the way. I don't think New Zealand, South Africa, France, or Ireland showed all their stuff. So don't get me wrong. Uh, and I think maybe Gautier was the, the, the master at that. I think he, he said, we're not even doing – most of our playbook stays hidden. But my point is that I don't think it was prohibitive favorites. I don't think they walk into the World Cup with that aura that mm. the All Blacks had or that sometimes the box can have. Yeah, it's a good point, Tyler. Yeah, and maybe that's a good thing, especially from the French perspective and them hosting a World Cup. We maybe don't necessarily want all of that pressure on you. But yeah. I think, look... I think with you, you can take these things glass half empty, glass half full. And I think we also, shameless plug, going to do that in our Rugby Bits podcast later this week and try to look at <laughs> things from both perspectives. But I think the glass half full version of the the, the French and the Irish uh, is that number one, they obviously also had just a, a bit of an injury, um, had a few injuries that they had to deal with um, in the November series. So for Ireland, no Robbie Henshaw, they didn't have James Lowe. Uh, the the French, they were pretty much down to their third, fourth choice props um, by the time the people that came on. And, you know, they showed that clearly they don't have the depth of prop that the Springboks have, for example. So, you know, if you're able to then, if Cyril Bay is then fully fit, if um, Danny Priso is able to play, if Jean-Baptiste Grosso is, is able to play, if Demba Bamba is there, like that gives a lot more solidity to that. If Paul Willems is there, I think that would help with playing that trench warfare against the Springboks. Having a South African to do South African things against South African is probably the best thing to do. And a, <laughs> a big miss was um, Francois Croix as well, who's you know just such an amazing flanker and is able to, you know, I think he would have filled some of the gaps that yep. the French had that maybe Geelong and um, Olive One aren't able to fill. So... I think in terms of that, there's there's a, a bit of a glass half full that, you know, you didn't have your best players and you still won against pretty much the best team in the, or at least one of the best teams in the Southern Hemisphere. Both can say that they've beaten pretty much everyone. Ireland, the only one that they haven't beaten is France, um, funny enough. So usually, unless you're the Springboks every 12 years, the, the way to win a World Cup is beat everyone or have at least like a match where you beat everyone that you can beat. If you're a Northern Hemisphere team, as we saw with England, have a tour where you go down south and you beat, you know, the the one of the big teams down south. And then in your third year, have a very good winning percentage. So most of the World Cup winning teams have had some sort of 80 to 85% World Cup winning percent um, winning percentage the year before the World Cup. The Springboks obviously do things really differently and, you know, just get the spirit of Nelson Mandela or whoever and are able to then win every 12 years. 
So, you know, I think if you're it's France just, or Ireland... It's quite simple when you say it like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just a, a, little, a, you know, a little bit of adversity. No one believes in us. <laughs> bit of a surprise package. Get, you know, all Bach sort of traditional values going and it's, it's all set for them. Rugby on the raw. We should talk about England. And Harry, you said at the top that um that that it feels like Eddie has lost not the players and not his assistant coaches, but he's lost the power brokers. And that's yeah. a really, really interesting dynamic for England. Yeah, so it's eight, so he'll be eight years in one gig. It's the longest time he's ever been anywhere, yeah. you know. Even right now, it's seven years. Until he uh, until he goes to the US for 12 years. Yeah. <laughs> that's where he no, that's where he belongs. I have an article coming out. It's it's actually I'm kind of worried about it. I think I may I might have been too harsh. But um, you know, Eddie did a lot no. of things that alienated the uh, you know the noblesse oblige, the petite bourgeois, you know, the, that that <laughs> kind of shadowy elbow patch chino cranberry crowd that runs England rugby. He attacked the public schools, you know, private schools, but they call them public schools. He attacked um, the actual cadre of people. He was kind of merciless sometimes when he would pick players and drop them. On the way out, he would take a shot at them, like Ollie Lawrence, ridiculous, uncalled for. Mm. Uh, not realizing that guy has a lot of friends in the England camp. Um, it became too much about Eddie. The oxygen was choked out of the room. All the strong assistant coaches that he had you know, were gone, and now he has a lot of yes-men. Uh, and the other thing that he did was he, he called up, this is from last year, 174 players total and only capped 100. That means 74 people just carried tackle bags. Um, and wow. so there was a, it was an attritional basis of how he ran an army. It was almost like Napoleon where – yeah, you know, just like people were too dispensable and mm. the, the people really matter. And uh, rugby is a collegial business. We want to love each other, trust each other. Say what you will about Rossi. And look, as Tala's dad will tell you, you know, it's an embarrassment. Um, Tala's dad is a referee <laughs> in the Eastern Cape. Uh, yeah. and, and, and Rossi is so atypical for being an Eastern province guy. He's, he's such a wild guy. But the players love the man. I'm telling yeah. you, they'll walk over broken glass for him all day, every day of the week. And uh, Eddie doesn't really inspire that same no. level. And the try count just kept going down, you know, 14 and then to 10 then to eight and then, and then six nations, but more than half of those tries are scored against Italy. So mm. I think when Twickenham booed him off the ground uh, last weekend and it was audible and you could even hear it on TV, but they said live in the, in the stands, it was way worse. I think you're looking at a guy who just didn't read the room properly mm. and, and doesn't have anything left in the tricks bag. So all he's left with now is, is uh, I've got a plan, guys. I can't tell you what it is. Yeah. Uh, nobody knows about it. The players don't know it, surely. Uh, yeah. But uh, don't worry. I'm not even sure I know what it is yet, but I've got a plan. <laughs> I've got a plan. Look, and it is interesting, Tyler, because – you look at a team like um, like the Box, even New Zealand when they were in what was, I think, a full-blown crisis in South Africa this year, um, the players were still publicly backing Ian Foster. The Wallabies players have been saying to a man all year that Dave Rennie is the guy to take us forward. I'm not hearing that out of the England players at the moment. I'm certainly not hearing it out of the England former players. Yeah. Look, I, just on the New Zealand point, I, I thought they were a bit sneaky with that because those Instagram stories after Ellis Park when they won against the box, there was nothing of that um, before, the weeks before that. They mm. also, I think, were playing their cards and just seeing what will happen. And <laughs> I think to an extent there was, I'm sure that, I'm, I'm, I don't think it, like there's anything bad. Like you'll hear the bad stuff. So I guess people may be yeah. more neutral. I think with Eddie, yeah, it doesn't help that, you know, England is the biggest rugby market. So you hear people like Danny Kay that, you know, have played and have been in and out of the squad. And I think he's been relatively diplomatic, but, you know, in the, in the part that he features on quite a bit, you can hear that, like, he's not, you know, he is and maybe other people aren't happy with this, the treatment that they get from, the, from, from, from Eddie as a coach. Yeah, I guess... Maybe, yeah, in some ways, maybe Eddie isn't, you know, a long-term coach. So good luck to the Eagles for the next eight years. And 12 you know, years, 12, 16, whatever yeah. it is. Like, it's literally a job for life, Eddie. He would die yeah. in that job. 
It's yeah, I, I think he's he, exactly what they need. He, so he would fit yeah. this market in America so well because he, he drums up business, he, he makes mm. attention. It, yeah. You know, what he needs in America is a spotlight and a, one focal point, uh, a, a flypaper to catch all the controversy and drum it up even more. That's not how English rugby works. I mean, no. <laughs> there's still a very stiff upper lip, there's still a cherry in the cheek, there's still a lot of palmy stuff going on. <laughs> And they don't really like it when he's blasé about losing in that way. Look, yeah. you can lose at home. It's fine. But they didn't fire a shot. They looked yeah. very weak. And it yeah. seemed like, wait, you're just retreading Marco Vinopola into the scrum and saying, hey, I hope that it works out with uh, Franz Malherbe. And what, as I put out <laughs> my book, he, he, he talked about things being unforeseen. Like, well, who could predict it? Like, Eddie, scrumming in South Africa is pretty predictable. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You got, yeah. You got to have a Joe Marler in there or someone like that. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. I was yeah. yeah, I was going to say that like I think the in terms of game plan, I think there is a few things that are starting to grow. I I'm maybe the only one in the Smith Farrell Island that thinks that it can still work, but they just <laughs> need to play um Henry Slade oh, wow. next to them and not um uh, uh Manu Chilagi because I think he's done. It's now just, I think, they, and look, England has, you know, apart from France and Africa, like the biggest sort of resources in terms of players. And, you know, I think I'll be, I'll, I'm willing to cut him some slack that, you know, probably one of the best players in the world, Courtney Laws, wasn't in the team this um, mm. this November. Sure. But, you know, like, like you said, Harry, like if you keep saying test matches aren't important and it's all about the World Cup and all that sort of stuff, you better at the very least keep you know, the, the illusion going somehow until the end. So, you know, thank goodness for his sake that England did have that 10 minutes, um, yeah. you know, that, that burst of 10 yeah, minutes against, against the All Blacks because yeah. I think he'd probably be out of a job now. I yeah. wonder, and Brett, actually, I want to ask you this and sort of play Scrum Up for a little bit. It, I don't know if you were a <laughs> Wallabies fan like in the early 2000s, but how, do you think this is quite similar to how things ended there in Australia in the mid-2000s? Yeah, that's actually yeah, that's not a bad shout actually, um, because it sort of went south for Eddie with the Wallabies very quickly. Um, yeah. It was it was sort of like, was what two thousand and four, two thousand. He got to the final. He got to the final. Uh, yeah, yeah, two thousand three. Yeah, play, yeah. Played England in the final in Sydney, obviously. Um, two thousand and five spring tour. They had a terrible time with the scrums, and there was yeah. uh, you know, and England just basically scrummed all the props off the park, like literally it was, um, and, and it went south really, really quickly for him. And, and like suddenly what worked seemingly two weeks ago just was not working it again. So yeah, there might be something in that, that when, when he reaches his use by date, it's, it's, it's really, really quickly. It goes and, off and very you, quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And he can't, and you're right, Harry too, as well. Yeah. The power brokers aren't just going to cop him saying South Africa are a good team, mate. Like you, you can't just throw up that anymore. Well, they're, gotta... they're, they're, they're a good team. So South Africa is a good limited team, and you know yeah. what you have to do. You have to win the air battle, and you have to win the scrums, or you mm. have to be at least survive the scrums. I mean, you in his sit, book, yeah, when his book, when he's talking about the World Cup final, I, I just looked at it from my article. He describes Franz Malherbe as a loose head prop. I go. Hey man, you have to know what the guy's position is. I mean, seriously, mate. You're, the loose head prop is the guy that looked like he had his legs sticking out of a washing machine. I like that was to me that told me everything that he doesn't care about the scrums enough, and he doesn't yeah. understand it, and he doesn't look in on it. I think he thinks, well, there's only six or seven of them a game. The problem yeah. is nowadays, fifty percent of them are penalised, maybe more. Whereas yeah. in the old days, had twenty five scrums, but only two were pinged. So, what? It and this is part of his. Yeah. That was part of his downfall as 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 the Wallabies coach is, is that he argued at the time that because there were only six or seven scrums a game and it only takes up about twelve percent of the game, we're only going to train twelve percent on set piece, mm-hmm. and the the net result was what happened on that on that two thousand five spring tour. It was it will be really really interesting to see what happens for him out of the inevitable review that the RFU will do. And then if he does get to the Six Nations, what's like what's the pass mark for him? It, it'll be it'll be fascinating to see how it yeah. plays out over, over our summer. We we um we, we should let you get we need to let you go in, in just a minute, Tala. But Harry has been 
boldly selecting a team of the week every week through this uh, this ordination <laughs> series and and has wrapped it all up with a with a with a team of of the November tests. Um, do you remember who you actually picked, Harry, or do I have to go through your team again? Hell no. You had to read it. I have no idea. Okay. All right. So he's gone with, um, and, and I did like the line leading into his team. He said, congratulations to all those picked because, you know, they're all hanging to see whether he made, they made Harry Jones's t- t- team of November. Um, he picked Ethan DeCruyff, uh, Dan Sheehan, Tug Furlong, Tug Furlong up front, uh, even Elizabeth James Ryan in the row, uh, Charles Olivon, Michael Hooper, Tulipe Faltau at the back row, and then Aaron Smith and Johnny Sexton, uh, the two single points of failure in the halves, Kurtley Aronser, Jonathan Dunty, Len Ikitao, Damien Pernot across the three-quarter line, and the great Willie LaRue um, at fullback. And then your bench was... <laughs> Takiaho, Porter, Malherba, Retallic, Papali'i, Declare, uh, Finn Russell, and, uh, and Jordy Barrett, which is, it's a pretty fair team. I'll credit where it's due. <laughs> Brilliant team. Brilliant team. <laughs> if you do say so yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, was the, you've the, got... the, hard, the hard one for me was the number nine, to be honest. I mean, Aaron Smith yeah. really did not play well until the tour, until the autumn yeah. tour. I just focused on just the autumn tour. It feels yeah. it yeah. feels like you it feels like you started at Aaron Smith and tried to make a case for someone else, but you just couldn't quite. Is that <laughs> fair to say? Yeah, I thought Dupont was you know had his toughest stretch of his career, and that can happen. I don't know what they yeah. call it, but you know, he's so many accolades. I think people really focused on him, and yeah. the one thing that, tr- that 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 the rugby championship teams do really well is they can muck up your nine. I mean, it, the battle between the nines between Nick White, Fafta Clerk. Mm. Uh, Jaden Hendricks, uh, Aaron Smith, TJ Perinar over the years. It's just fascinating. Yeah. Uh, aggressive they are around the around the park. So I think DuPont um, had his way in the Six Nations, but now we have to realize that Six Nations is not maybe uh, up to the same level as it has been. And so, um, and I don't think J- Jameson Gibson Park is really an aggressive, belligerent nine. I think the, the Southern, Hemisphere, way. Southern Hemisphere nines are chippy. Uh, they mm. are in your face. Yeah. You got any holes to pick in that team, Tyler? No, not really. Um, I think that's pretty much everyone that you'd want. I'd probably try to fit in um, Ange Cup also in the at oh, least yeah. on the yeah. bench. Yeah. Um, I think also another favorite of mine, David Nineshvili, had a really good game against um, mm, Georgia yeah. against Wales for Georgia. Um, good job. He was really good. Um, and um, ugh, I'm trying to get his name. Oh. And I think, Britt, I'm quite surprised you haven't tried to fight for him to be on the other wing, is Mark Nalkan. Now, no, Wang, 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 Wang. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I think he's been, too. he's probably been the breakthrough player of this, you know, small November yeah. tour. And I think he's just had a brilliant, like, um, November series. And, you know, it shows the value of the Australia A program that, mm. you know, he came out of it. Yeah, yeah I, I remember watching him play for the, I remember when he started with the Waratahs, I think two or so years ago, and I thought, okay, I saw the people writing up about him. He's really good. He's great in the air and all that sort of stuff. And he took some time to get into, you know, professional mm. rugby. But this year was great for the Waratahs, and now he's doing the business and test level. I think he's definitely um, – I would probably put him at number 14 for the Wallabies um, next mm. year. So at least that solves one problem because Tom Wright has <laughs> – <laughs> they they call it um uh, some of the american sports um that i follow they call like when someone has like a mistake in them they call it the bozo gene and i think tom wright has a <laughs> big bozo gene in him that he can do something amazing and then the next moment just be like so what what you, walk me through that what were you doing right there so, the bozo gene i like, uh, he's like marky he's mark the guy to, to on your team with, he's a guy on your team with there's a stoppage and you go to me go Calm that down. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, there's going to be a moment in this game where you need to get excited, but this moment is not it. Yeah, yeah. Spot on, spot on. Look, Tyler, it's been absolutely fantastic to have to have you on uh, the pod. It's been a great chat. I'm glad that we're able to let you loose and get you away <laughs> from the hosting duties. And uh, look, it's been fantastic to. Um, to, to wrap up the series like this, thanks so much for uh, for finding some time for us. Thank you so much, and yeah, let's hope that we can 
next time we organize a play date, we can all get everyone in here as well. <laughs> we'll, yeah, do it. we'll do it properly. Go, we'll get proper we'll have rugby call areas. Everyone go on rugby bits and, t- and try them out and uh, yeah, have us over yeah. sometime. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and we and we and we should say yeah, rugby rugbybits dot com uh, is 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 a great source of news and opinion, and obviously the podcast as well. And uh, yeah, Tyler and Jared and Sean and and, and the guys, uh, it's a it's a fantastic podcast. So so do check them out. So thanks so much, mate. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. The roar. Uh, mate, great to have. To have Tala Musutu from uh, from Rugby Rugby Bits, I think we did get the best bit of Rugby Bits. <laughs> oh yeah, that guy he really really eats and drinks rugby, and I love it that he's yeah. a good look. I mean, you can tell he he he's just as up to speed on the Waratahs, uh, you know, second team as yeah. he is uh, yeah. the Lions or the Stormers. So but, what, what what character stood out for you from any team uh, on this yeah. series? So or Tala mentioned Mark Nwanganitwazi, and and there's no doubt that. That Australian rugby's unearthed a gem there, and 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 I think Australian fans would say we've seen this guy coming for for a few years now. So it's great to to see him arrive on the international stage and really have an impact. I think it's hard to go past Nick Frost though, funnily, and he's the yeah. other guy, you know, yeah, who who was picked on this squad and started, you know, however many tests it was. And I think at the start, I was like, oh, is he ready to start? tests in the north like is he was what the scotland test was what his third fourth but he's just got better every week and he looks like he's not he looks like he's played 30 tests like he he's not a rookie doesn't look like a rookie lock to me yeah no i'll tell you what i think about him when i see him i thought he was awkward and i didn't know if he could handle the sheer physicality of a northern Mm. tour i think he did and i I think think he he handled it better every week and I think by the end, he was a graceful big man. He was not yeah. a, a clumsy, you know, young pony with legs going everywhere. I think he really found <laughs> body height. I don't think he was ever pinged in the same way that his teammates were. I, I don't yeah. think he's part of the problem. I think Nick Frost is, if you're looking at a solution, like prototype, more Nick Frosts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it'll be interesting. And look, it'll be fascinating to see come, you know, February next year how – Stephen Larkin plays Frost and Neville and Swain mm-hmm. together, and, yeah. and I yeah. and I do wonder if we might see a similar sort of rotation to what Dan McKellar used this year for his four hookers, who 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 by the end of the year were all now were are all now Wallaby capped. So yeah, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out next year. It, it really will. Um, a little bit of news, mate, to finish. Um, Rassi Erasmus, we, we mentioned several times through that chat with Tala. He's reportedly been roped in by World Rugby to assist the governing body address the standard of officiating leading up to the World Cup next year, uh, uh, according to rapport in, in the Republic. This is perfect. It's like a yeah. principal one time. It's he called almost, me it's almost exactly what he wanted. Yeah, 17th time I was in the office and the principal told me, my boy, we're going to make you a prefect. I'm tired of giving you cuts or making you the head boy. Uh, I do think that Rusty is the perfect person. Yeah. Like if you have that kind of gripes and you're going to be obsessed with refereeing and standards, mm-hmm. you know, or, or you say you are, okay. Put him in charge. Part, Director of referee. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Can I offer an alternative view? World Rugby want him in the tent pissing out rather than out of the tent pissing in. <laughs> It's the same. It's, a, it's another way of saying the same thing. Yeah. 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 yeah exactly right. Uh, <laughs> former British and Irish Lions head coach Warren Gatlin is uh, is suddenly being considered to return to Wales um, as a likely replacement for Wayne Pivak if if he's moved on. Um, and it's it's fascinating to see how quick that came up. I, I'm not even sure Matthew Carley had taken the whistle from his mouth to blow full time, and yet Gatlin's name was mentioned. So. Wow. Uh, we'll we'll see how that plays out. And a little bit of signing news um, from the Western Force. In fact, they've picked up former Wasps centre Sam Spink, um, and he's and they've also signed Brazilian international prop Wilton Rebolo, um, who won a major league rugby title with uh, with Rugby New York this year. But the best part of that signing is that this is a genuine headline on the Western Force website that simply says. Force signed first Brazilian in Super Rugby. <laughs> Wilson, Wilson. Actually, he's a good prop. 
Yeah, no, I'm sure he is. I'm sure I don't know much about him, but I'm sure he's yeah, very, very good. good. Um, yeah. And um, and look, someone had to be the first Brazilian in Super <laughs> Rugby. So fair enough. Fair enough, I say. Um, but that's us done, mate. That is episode 46 of the Raw Rugby Podcast behind us. Don't forget Harry and I are both on the socials. Uh, and do leave us a rating or review if you've enjoyed the pod this year and if you've got the means to do so. Again, another couple of five-star reviews last weekend, and we really appreciate it. And again, they just keep telling us, the boffins, that it all helps. So if you can, please leave us a, a review. The Thursday two-up is back on the site this week for the last time in 2022 and we'll wrap up our respective uh, rugby years uh, and this is the penultimate ep of the, of the podcast as well we'll be back next week to wrap up the rugby year and reflect back on what has been a whirlwind first year of the pod as well so like follow subscribe uh, on your pod platform of choice and that will drop into notifications next week it's the Raw Rugby Podcast with me, Brett McKay, and Harry Jones every week on the raw.com.au, Australia's biggest sporting debate, the home of all your favourite international rugby analysis, opinions, and conversations. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in your ears one more time this year next week. Come spiel mit uns. If you say so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>